In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is teaching us something about what happens when we are in Christ. I would ask you this question this morning as we start. What are you in? I mean, just as yourself, every day, what are you in? You might say, well, I'm in a certain profession, and I'm in all the way. I'm sold out to my profession, to what I do. Uh, that, that's my identity. That's my, that's my claim to fame, if you will, and my claim to, to how people understand me. I do this as a profession. You might be in a club or a fraternity or a sorority. And you might say, boy, I'm all in there. I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. I, I just am so caught up in it. I, I like what we do. I like the people I'm with. And I'm one with them in this fraternity or sorority or club. And, and I'm just all in with this, this brotherhood or sisterhood or fellowship or, or, or service or whatever it might be. I, I'm just, I'm committed to it completely. And my identity is many, in many ways found in this organization that I am involved in. That's how people know me, and that's how they identify me. Well, the Scripture says that we who are believers, we who have placed our trust in Jesus Christ, are in Christ. Now, there's a lot of ways to unpack that. I mean, you you can look at it from a legal perspective, or as the theologians call it, a forensic perspective. That is, that that we have been declared justified by God on the basis of our faith in Christ, and we are declared not guilty. We are declared and imputed with the righteousness of Christ. I mean, there is that forensic or legal side of of being in Christ that is significant. There's also a mystical side to it. I mean, and and I'm not a very mystical person uh, for the most part, but But there is a mystical side to being in Christ because the Scripture says that if we are believers, we are in Him, and indeed, He is in us. There's some indication there that there is a spatial kind of experience with Jesus Christ if we are a Christian. And and in that sense, what it means in reality is to a great extent is is that's where we find our identity. That's how we are known by people. That person is in Christ. Now, we might call it that person is a Christian, that person is a believer, that person is a number of things. But the Scripture would say the way we ought to be identified by people that see us, especially other believers, is that that is a person who is in Christ. Because they have believed in Him, they have trusted in Him, and by God's grace they have been formulated in Christ Jesus. There is a union with Him. Brother Todd read the passage from uh, John chapter 15, which we dealt with months ago in our series in John's Gospel, and we'll look at that again in in context with this mini-topical series that we're doing around Easter. But he read that, and Jesus made clear. He said, listen, I am the vine, you're the branches. Is there any stronger union than the vine and the branch? I mean, the the branch is absolutely 100% dependent upon the vine. If the vine is not strong, if the vine is not healthy, then the branch never can be. If you have a tree that's your trunk, 
the trunk of your tree gets diseased, sooner or later, the branches are going to die and the fruit is going to cease. And Jesus is saying, but you've got a healthy vine. You've got a healthy trunk. And it's me. And so as a disciple of mine, Jesus is saying, you need to find your identity not so much in clubs and organizations, although I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those as far as they can go, but that you ought to find your identity in me. You ought to say, I'm all in with Christ. And, and that ought to make a difference in your life. We talked last week as we did Malachi's uh, a prophecy, how Malachi talked about the, the danger and the ser- seriousness of sort of a... a formal religion that had no reality to it. When you are in Christ, there is no formality of religion without power. When you are in Christ, there's a power for daily living. There's a power for walking. There's a power for seeing life in a whole different perspective. I dare say, as I said in my Grace Notes article this week, I dare say that there are many who are sitting in this room this morning who, when you think about the Christian life and you think about what it means to be a Christian, the, the idea of union with Christ probably doesn't even make the top five. You probably think about forgiveness of sin. You probably think about you know, worship. You probably think about, uh, about all sorts of different things. But being in union with Christ typically doesn't make the top of the list. I, I dare say it really is at the top of the list. And it should be in our thinking, and it should be in our walk. I, I, I love what, what Anthony Hawkins said in his book, Saved by Grace. He said on part 64, and I put these in your bulletin, you got the quotes right there, you don't have to write them down. Once you have your eyes open to this concept of union with Christ, you will find it almost everywhere in the New Testament. Once your eyes are open to it, once you start thinking in, these, in this concept that I want us to deal with leading up to Easter, once you, you see that, if you open the New Testament, you'll find it everywhere. I, I love the verse. You hear me quote it all the time out of uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul says, you know, therefore there is now no condemnation for any man anywhere. Oh, no, that's not what he says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word in, that union. Paul's not saying that now that Christ has died, there's no condemnation for anybody across the face of the earth. They're all, they're all okay with God just because he died. No, he's saying there's no condemnation if you are in Christ. It's an important concept. In the sixth chapter, and that's our, our basic text, but I'm going to use some others here this morning to kind of introduce this idea. But in the 6th chapter of Romans, Paul writes these words, and I I want you to hear them because they are are so important as we think about this idea of union in Christ. Paul says, what shall we say then? He's been talking about the grace of God. He's been talking about the forgiveness of God. He's been talking about what it means to be justified in Christ Jesus, to stand in grace. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? 
I mean, he said the grace of God is sufficient to cover all sin. The grace of God is sufficient to cover anything that you have done and anything that you ever will do if you are in Christ. So, so Paul says, what should we say about this? Shall we just say, hey, since God's grace is so good, let's just go out and sin some more so he can give me more grace and I can experience that grace and, and I'll just sin and, and God will give me more grace? Shall we say that? Verse 2. May it never be. God forbid. Heavens no, he's saying. How shall we who died to sin still live in it as a way of life? How should we who have died to sin still give sin a, a place in our life that it does not rightfully have, that it has been banished by the grace of God? Why shall we still, shall we, how can we even think about still living in it as a way of life, as a practice? Or do you not know? Do you not know that all of us, all of us who have been baptized, where? Into Christ? All of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, we, we, so we too might walk in newness of life? Paul's preaching it here, folks. Don't you know, haven't you recognized, haven't you acknowledged, or, or have you just had a cursory faith? Have you just had a faith where you raised your hand and said, oh yeah, I love Jesus? I like God? Or, or have you not realized, do you not know that we who are in Christ have been baptized into Christ Jesus and we've been baptized into his death and by baptism, by the spirit baptism that comes at salvation, and by water baptism symbolizing that spiritual baptism that comes at salvation, you have died to self, you have been buried with Christ, and you are alive again, raised from the dead as he was on that first Easter Sunday. You in your life have now been raised to a newness of life. To the glory through the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in newness of life. Think about that. Talking about death here. Talking about dying to sin and dying to self and being raised with Christ. Think about what he's saying here. He's saying here that when Jesus hung on the cross, hung there as the substitute and the sacrifice to appease the wrath of God and, and in our lives and to absorb or receive the wrath of God on his own self. That when he hung there as our sacrifice and our substitute and he died there, Paul is saying we died there too if we're in Christ. It wasn't just that he died for us, he did. But it wasn't just that he died for us, 
it is that we died with him if we're in union with him. I know, you say, well, we weren't even there. That's 2,000 years ago. Oh, when we get into the depths of union with Christ, I want you to see time and place is really insignificant for those who are in Christ. So Paul goes on. Oh, this is too good. For if we have become united with him, what's another word for united? In union? Follow me here. It's everywhere. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, died with him on the cross, certainly shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Died, we've been brought back to life. We have died spiritually to sin and self, and now we raise to newness of life in Christ. That's what we say with the baptismal experience in the water. That water doesn't save anybody. That water doesn't wash away your sins. That wash is a symbol of having died with Christ, buried in a watery grave, and raised to newness of life as a new creature going forth in Christ. In union with Christ. Hang with me now. This is good. I might even shout. Verse 6, knowing this, not hoping this, not thinking maybe this is a reality, but knowing this with certainty and with assurance, knowing this, that our old self, old Bill, old Scott, old Mike, old self, The old self was crucified with him on the cross. In order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. You are slaves to sin if you're outside of Christ. If you're not in Christ, By an act of God's grace and by an expression of your faith in Christ, if you never trusted him, I want you to know you're a slave to sin. You say, wait a minute, I'm a good person? Ask anybody. They'll tell you, I don't kick puppies. And and I I give to charity. And I I help people if I I see them in a need. I'm a good person. You're not in Christ, even you're not kicking a puppy of sin. Because it's not done by faith. That's what Paul will tell later on. You have to understand this whole thing. We have been set free from slavery because we have died with Christ in order that that body of sin might be crucified. Oh, we still struggle in the flesh, don't get me wrong. Paul is not here somehow saying, oh, but... Now you are perfect, you are, you are without sin. Not saying that at all, but he is saying the old man's been crucified. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher and pastor in, at Westminster Chapel in London, England, back uh, in, in the early part of the 20th century. He went with the Lord in 1980, to be with the Lord in 1981. Uh, Lloyd-Jones used to talk about this old man is dead, 
and yet we kind of try to carry them around on our back. That, that we, we act like he's necessary to our everyday life. And so here we are as Christians. We are new creatures in Christ. We have died to the old man, but we kind of pick up the old man and carry him around as though somehow we're responsible to take care of this corpse that's strapped on our back. Paul says in verse 7, For he who has died is freed from sin. From penalty? If you have died to self and are in Christ, you will never pay for one sin. You won't. If you do, then there's no salvation because one sin is all it takes to set you not in right standing with God. Don't you know that he who has died is freed from sin? Now, if we have died with Christ, and we have, we believe that we shall also live with him, not only in the second coming, not only when we go to heaven, not only when we see that final reward, but we shall live with him right now. Knowing this, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, so that the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider. Or if you're looking at a King James Version, reckon. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of the righteousness of righteousness to God. Now, let's unpack that for just a minute, and, and that may be all we get to unpack. I want you to see the importance. Paul is not saying that what you do as far as whether you present yourselves to, to unrighteousness or present yourself to sin, your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, he's not saying if you can keep from doing that, you will certainly be saved. He will say that if you are saved, you now have the power within your life to obey that. Last Sunday, I used two illustrations of, of unrighteousness that so many Christians are getting caught up in. Uh, one was the, the movie Fifty Shades of Grey. The other was the app Whisper or whatever. And, and, and I just chose those out of sort of out of thin air as illustrations of, of two things. I mean, I could, we could probably give millions or at least thousands right here in this room. We could probably just go around and say, well, I know a Christian who's doing this or that or that, or maybe even I'm doing this or that. The, the point is that when you are in Christ, you now have the power to put that stuff aside. And he says, don't go on presenting yourselves to sin. Don't go on presenting your bodies to sin for unrighteousness sake. It's basically the same thing he said to the Philippians when he said in Philippians 4, you know, meditate on what is good and pure and right and holy. Let that fill your mind. Let that fill your thinking. Let that be something that is captivating you and, and absorbed in your life. Don't go on presenting yourselves to sin, your bodies to sin. We are the world's best. We, human beings, I hope it's a rhetorical we, 
for we who are in this room, but it may not be. But we are the world's best as human beings of saying, you know, I, I know this is not right, but it's not that big a deal. It's just a little sin. You know, it's just, it's just a little thing. It's, it's, not a, it's not a major thing. It's not something that I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm not going to commit adultery or anything. I mean, I'm going to watch it on the screen maybe, and I'm going to listen to it, and, and I'm going to read about it some because it's, it's kind of titillating, and, but it's no big deal. It's just a little sin. You know, you ever done that? Then you're giving your bodies to sin for unrighteousness. Doesn't mean that you read it today, you watch it today, and tomorrow you're going to be in full-blown murder or adultery or theft or anything. Doesn't mean that. But it means that you're planting seeds there of unrighteousness in your life. You're letting your bodies, your mind, your eyes, your ears, you're letting them be captivated by something that is as, as foreign and alien to the character of Almighty God and the character of Jesus Christ that you ever could. And that seed will grow. Trust me. That seed will grow. We always jump on David for his sin with Bathsheba. We always criticize David for having her husband killed to try to cover up his sin with Bathsheba. We always look at the end game of David's life and say, boy, he was really rotten in that sin. We have to start with, what was he doing on the rooftop to begin with? Maybe a little laziness that he wasn't out with the troops. Maybe a little laziness that he wasn't leading them in the battle. He had troops out in war and he was back at his palace enjoying the good life. No big deal. God's made me king. He's made me the ruler of the land. I ought to enjoy some of the fruits of this. I ought to, I ought to be able to just kind of relax and enjoy it. And so he wakes up late and he stretches and he goes out to his balcony and he looks over and he just sees Bathsheba. I don't, the scripture's not real clear. I mean, we, we, we read it and we think he saw her and he immediately acted on it. I don't know if he did or not. Maybe he just saw her and he said, oh man, that's, I better get back in. Well, that was really nice to look at, you know, and he went back again. I don't know. I know that's how, I know that's how Satan works in many of our lives. J just excusing just a little thing, but then saying, well, you know, it's kind of fun. Let's, let's, we, one step further won't matter. One, one more little deal won't matter. And so we move on. Now, folks, I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm not even talking about something that will strip away your salvation here. But I'm talking about something that Paul says that if you are in Christ, you have died to self, you have died to sin, you have been crucified with Christ on that cross, you are dead. And you've been raised to the newness of life in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you something. Because you've all done it. You can sit there and look pious all you want to. You can sit there and say, oh, he's not talking to me. <laughs> I'm talking to me. So I know I'm talking to you. 
You've all done it. And let me ask you this. When you have done it, whatever it is, just the little thing, just the little pleasure that you know is not pleasing to God, let me ask you something. Was there just the least bit twinge of guilt there? You say, oh, you're trying to play on our guilt. No, no, I'm not. I'm, re- I'm really not. <laughs> it's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And, and if you are in Christ, and if Christ dwells in you and the Spirit dwells in you, and we'll get to all the Trinity involved in this later on, but, but I want you to see that Paul is saying that if you are in Christ, you're dead to that. And let me tell you, if you're in Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, there will be a, a, there will be a twinge of guilt because the Holy Spirit is saying to you, that is wrong. You ought to get away from that. Now, many of us are really good at saying, oh, hush. It's a dangerous thing to say to the Holy Spirit. But we're we're good at that. Oh, hush. We present ourselves to just things that really do put us in a position to excuse this sin so we can move into this sin so that we can excuse this sin. And before we know it, wham, we're on our faces. No, on our faces would be repentant. We're on our backs, knocked down by the sin that we're dead to. That ought to have no rule in our life. Ought to have none. Paul says, stop. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, alive to God the Father in Christ Jesus, His Son. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't go and present the members of your body to, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But, I love the buts in Scripture. We were dead in our trespasses of sin, but God, but God, being rich in mercy and grace, has saved us out of that. This but's the same kind of but. Don't go on presenting your body as instruments of righteousness to sin, but instead of, rather than doing that, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Here's what he's saying. If you're in Christ, live like who you are, not like who you ain't. Okay, who you're not. If if you're in Christ, live like who you are. You're alive to Christ. You are in Christ. You are You are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And and the Father is protecting you and the Holy Spirit is empowering you and convicting you if necessary. Present yourselves to God as those those alive from the dead and your members, every part of my body, my eyes, my hands, my ears, my mind, my speech. And you take it all the way down. You figure it out yourself. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead 
no longer dead in sin, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. It means we consciously say, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. I want to present myself to you as an instrument of righteousness today when I go to work. I want to present myself to you today as, a, as an instrument of righteousness when I go to school. Lord, I'm in you. And some of those things that other people get by with, some of those things they try to pull me into, some of those things that Satan uses my friends and my co-workers and, and my schoolmates to try to tempt me with, Lord, I, I'm, I'm free from that. I am died to that. <laughs> and I'm alive to you. I met with a college class this morning. We talked about work. And is the pastoral ministry a higher calling than what you do? There's only four or so of us in here with that position of, of vocational pastor. And the question was, is that a higher calling than what you do? Whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or a street sweeper or a ditch digger or a whatever, even retired? And my answer was no. No, no, because God has placed you there providentially and sovereignly where you are for one purpose. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, said whatever you do, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or work or play or whatever you do in your life, do everything to the glory of God. And we who are in Christ, that ought to be our watchword. That I'm going to go do this job, and I'm going to be paid by whoever pays my salary, but I'm going to do it for the glory of God. Because I'm in Christ. Not because I'm trying to earn salvation, not because I'm trying to be legalistic, not because I'm trying to be a goody two-shoes, not because I'm trying to look like I'm better than somebody else. No, because you're not. You're not. I'm not. I'm really not. <laughs> I'm a sinner who, for whatever reason, has been saved by God's amazing grace. And for that, I'm grateful. But I'm not better than anybody. Paul says, where you go, what you do, I think this will affect the people that you make your closest friends. I think we have to build friendships with those who are outside of Christ so we can hopefully share the gospel with them and, and be ministers to them. No doubt about that. But I think your closest, most intimate friends ought to be those who at least understand what it means to be in Christ, if you're in Christ. Paul said, I want you to understand this. For sin, sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but you're under grace. Under law, sin mastered us. <laughs> I mean, as hard as we try to live up to the law, we couldn't do it because sin mastered us. But in grace, under grace, God's grace, Christ 
is in us and we are in Christ. Now, I want you to bear with me. We're coming to the close here for today. I wish I had about another 45 minutes, but I won't take it. I've got that many notes here, but I won't take it. We'll just pick up here next week. But I want you, I want you to hear something. You may be sitting there and saying, boy, that was, that was, that was academic today. Yeah, you know, we're in Christ, Christ in us. That, just, that all sounds good. I'm not talking about academic at all here. I'm talking about actual, practical, rubber-meets-the-road Christian life. I'm talking about this is what makes a difference in how you live tomorrow morning when you go to work or school. It also makes a difference how you worship when you come to worship. Because are you worshiping because you're trying to, okay, God like me, please like me. Or are you worshiping because you're saying, Lord, thank you for placing me in Christ. Thank you for bringing me in union with Christ. Thank you for making me a part of your family. Thank you for adopting me when I had no legal right, no right at all to be in your family. Thank you, Lord. I worship you out of gratitude. rather than out of some kind of faulty legalistic obligation. had somebody tell me two weeks ago they don't go to this church. I wouldn't miss church for anything. I thought, well, that's great. wish I had a lot of members like that. That's supposed to be funny. Uh, I wouldn't miss church for anything. I said, tell me why. He said, because I know God will get mad at me if I do. And I shared the gospel of grace with him. I, he didn't believe me because he, he went off and said, i got to check that guy off my list because he's going to teach me heresy here. And he went back to checking off his list of being right with God. Folks, worship is an overflow of the presence of Christ in our life. Worship is an overflow of being in Christ by his grace through faith we are in Christ. And that's the only way worship really happens. It's the only way witness really happens. It's the only way missions really happens. Because that's his plan. So remember all of this next week when we come back to finish this sermon. Let's pray. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want, I want to talk just a minute to you who are here that may not know Christ. I mean, it may be that you say, man, in Christ, died 2,000 years ago on a cross with Christ. I don't understand that at all. I wouldn't expect you to. Because that is something that's spiritually appraised. That's something that the Holy Spirit teaches those who are in Christ. But I would say to you this morning, I invite you to Christ. If you're tired of your sin, tired of your disobedience to God, tired of, of knowing that maybe you've just been playing religious games for a long time, I invite you to come to Christ by faith, through faith this morning.
And if you're sitting there and you know there's sin there and God is pointing to the idols in your life and pointing to the sins in your life, then I would say that's the Holy Spirit working on you and calling you to Christ. Come to Christ. Not to a church, not to a preacher, but to the Savior. I invite you to Christ this morning. And if you're here this morning and you're, you're a believer, but you, you know you've trusted Christ, but boy, this whole idea of union with Christ has never invaded your life and never captivated you. My prayer for you this morning is that it will do just that. Captivate you. Because it really is the only thing that will set you free fully from sin. Father, when you planned all this, you purposed all this, and you did this work in Christ on the cross and applied it to our lives, as we who believe, Lord, it's something we never would have thought of. It's only by your revelation that we can see it and know it and trust in it. Father, I pray for men and women, young people here this morning who do not know you. I pray that this might be the day that your Holy Spirit sets them free from the bondage of sin. I pray, Father, this morning that you would call them to Christ by your Spirit. Give them new life, new birth. Make them a new creature. And Lord, I pray for believers who are here, myself included, that Lord would grasp and glory and rejoice in what it means to be in union with Christ. These weeks to come, Lord, would it let it change our lives that we might quit presenting our bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, that we might present our bodies to you, living sacrifices for righteousness and for your glory and for our good. Father, do your work, I pray, in Jesus' holy name. Amen.